to London Hat Week podcast series. I'm Georgina Abbott, co-founder of London Hat Week and owner of Atelier Millinery, a hat making business based in London. In this episode, we're joined by international tutor, milliner and innovator, Carol Mayer, all the way from Australia. I should point out that none of us are in the Morley Radio studio and we're recording this remotely. So apologies in advance for any sound quality issues. Carol, long time no see. Yes. Welcome <laughs> and thank you so much for taking part in the podcast series. You're welcome. It's nice to be here. Well, to be here in voice only. <laughs> so, um, Carol, uh, we've known each other for a little while now, but for everybody else, could you tell us a little bit about your own business, the Sydney Millinery Company? Okay. Um, I started the business in 2009. Uh, it's Couture Millinery, and I supply uh, mostly racing clients, um, and I travel uh, the world teaching for three months of the year. So I do two collections for my clients, and I also supply uh, a leading luxury department store, uh, Couture Millinery as well. So I'm very busy all year. <laughs> in fact, I'm one of the only full-time milliners in Australia. There are a few here, probably 10. I think. Yeah, and it's actually very unusual to be busy all year round as a milliner because um, for most people it's very seasonal. So great, well, great planning on your part <laughs> to have found that level of business. I think it came by accident. <laughs> <laughs> so could you also tell us a bit about where you are, where, where you're based when you're at home? I am. Uh, I'm in the foothills of the Blue Mountains in New South Wales, about an hour from Sydney. And we have 50 acres here and we have some cattle and some animals and a lot of Australian native animals. We have wallabies, um, king parrots, the really bright lorikeets, um, birds everywhere. And it's so quiet here that normally recording this would be a breeze because you can't hear anything at all. Um, only because we're so far out, my Wi-Fi signal is probably not very good. <laughs> But it sounds like um, a lovely place to be and um, and must be great to see all that wildlife and get some inspiration from it. Yes, it is. That's true. You just look out of the window and everything is green and beautiful. Um, it's not as you would expect Australia to be. It's not dry and barren and bushy. It's rolling hills, green. It looks a bit like Wales, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. That's not what you expect at all. <laughs> no. <laughs> So, Carol, when um, we, we invited you to do this, we mentioned that we have um, a series of interviews called the London Hat Week Headliners. But I think we've actually asked you those questions before. So I'm going to go a little bit off a piece here. Um, what I wanted to ask you was how you got into millinery, because um, I believe you started out in a slightly different field. Is that right? Yes, yes. I used to run an advertising agency in Hong Kong and a media company. So I was a CEO of a of a sort of middle-sized uh, media company in Hong Kong. Um, and so I'd always been in creative business, but on the business side. I have written some ads. I've run some awards, some awards for ads and things like that. Um, but then I, took, I decided I'd had enough of that corporate world and took myself off um, to do a, uh, a few lessons with Rose Corey in the UK. Um, this was from Hong Kong, because I wanted to really see if I liked millinery, because I've always wanted to do it. So I did a few lessons with her. And 
she's such a fabulous teacher that um, she convinced me basically that I should be doing millinery. So then I did a few other courses at uh, in London, and then and, and did that. Then I did the, the full course at the Institute of Fashion Technology here in Sydney at TAFE, and to become a couture milliner. So that's just really the same as a milliner qualification with extra design and illustration and that kind of thing added on. So fashion design at the end. Wow, it's so many people that um, we've spoken to in this series were trained by Rose Corey. Um, she must have taught hundreds, if not thousands of people. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And now, as I say, I only did a few classes with her because I'd come from Australia to do them within a two-week period. And she was fantastic. And I've never forgotten all the things she's taught me, and I still use the principles she taught me then. Even though you think it wouldn't be much, it was a lot. Yeah. Yeah. And and can you remember the first hat that you made? I can. I can. Um, I made a pill box out of cornflake boxes. Well, a cornflakes box covered with fabric <laughs> when I was 17 that I wore to a school disco. <laughs> I think I'd made a few Barbie doll hats before then, but they don't really count, do they? <laughs> well, they're challenging in their own way because of the scale. <laughs> so small, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, and I've always loved hats. She's not a very demanding client, though, is no, she? No, <laughs> she doesn't give you any lip when it doesn't look that good on her. <laughs> so, um, Carol, what's your favourite style of hat to wear and, and why? Uh, well, I think um, I've always really liked 1940s felt hats for some reason. I don't know why. Um, I love them. But now I love wearing um, foss-shaped hats either covered in leather or covered in uh, feathers, you know, that technique that I do, um, just because they're so, light, they're so light and you don't realise you're wearing a hat. Last week I made one and usually what I do is put it on in my studio and walk around with it on just to make sure it's balanced properly and to make sure it's comfortable and, and I walk around with it for a while. On this day I made it last week. I came back to the house at about 6 o'clock and because my studio is a kilometre from my house on the same property, but a kilometre away. And um, came back to the house and David said, why are you wearing a hat? And I, I honestly I could not <laughs> feel it. I didn't realise I still had it on. <laughs> so, I, yeah, so I think <laughs> my favourite hats now are really light hats that you don't realise you're wearing. Yeah. That that's great because that that it just um, furthers the illusion that it's just there by magic. Nothing worse than seeing people walking around with their hand on it because they're worried it's going to fall off or it's in the wrong position. Yeah, yeah. So you, as somebody who travels so much, you have um, a pretty unique perspective and you see lots of different styles. Um, what what would you say was characteristic of uh, millinery in Australia? Um, I think Australian milliners are very brave they're not hemmed in by tradition so uh, they can be brave and they can be outrageous and they can be daring and they can be innovative um, just because they don't have 90% of their clients saying I want a flat brim you know parasites all or whatever telling them what they want I think it's uh, I mean most of my clients just literally now show me the outfit that they want to wear or they say to me, make me a hat and I'll find an outfit. 
because they know what I know what suits them and and or and they leave it up to me um whereas I don't know very many countries that that would happen I think just in Australia people are a little bit more brave and because Melbourne Cup is so brave and out there <laughs> I think it that that tends to bring up everybody else up to that brave stage as well you know yeah and that's certainly what we see you know in the the pictures in the press we see some fabulous outfits and really bold choices of color and outfit um, much more on from the Australian racing audiences than than you see in the UK for example yeah yeah and I also I notice even from Queensland to Sydney to Melbourne it gets more subtle as it goes you know the, the states Queensland is very vibrant and bright and and colorful and um and I think it's because the light up there is so different. Somebody explained it to me that the light in the northern hemisphere is different to the light in the southern and that a lot of the bright colours here is when you go on holiday and you take something home and you think, oh, my God, what was I thinking? It's so bright. But here they don't look that bright. <laughs> and, but I also I do think that if you're in a tropical place, you're... Um, your idea of bright is different to, to Sydney's idea of bright and definitely to Melbourne's idea of bright or colourful. Melbourne is much more subtle and Sydney is sort of in between Queensland and Melbourne in terms of outrageous colour. <laughs> oh, that's really interesting. Um, so if you, you've made hundreds and probably thousands of hats and, and taught so many milliners to, to make their own hats, if you had to pick somebody that you know you haven't already made a hat for, who who would you pick, and what would you use to make them uh, a hat? Oh, that's a big question, isn't it? I think the, through the history, there would have been probably lots of people I would have loved to have made a hat for. Um, but now, I'd say if somebody that's uh, shining at the moment is just got to be Jacinda Ardern, the New Zealand Prime Minister. <laughs> I mean, she's got, she's young, she's strong, she's dynamic, she's got integrity, she's real, she's a real person as opposed to a politician. And I think <laughs> I'd like to make her something with, with new materials that, you know, I'm sort of into new materials and innovative types of products. So I think I'd like to make her a fosh-shaped hat, but with leather and my new nylon that I'm using, I think it could be quite modern and dynamic just like her. I think that that would that I'd like to do that. I probably would have liked to have made one for Paulette as well, Madame Paulette, but I would have been I would have been too embarrassed because she's just brilliant. That sounds great though. And um, from the Jacinta Hearn, have you seen her wearing many um, hats in the press at all? No, no. But she would suit a hat because she has the right shaped face. She's she's got quite an oval face, so um, with with tendencies to heart shape sort of. So she would suit she would suit a lot of hats and especially on an angle a real angle across an eye would with would be good for her that's a great idea we'll watch this space next time we see her maybe she'll be sporting one of yours <laughs> so and if you could go back in time um and have a hat made for yourself by any milliner or hatter who would you choose oh well that's easy that has got to be madame paulette um, I mean, she was an innovator in her time, and her hats are timeless. If you if you get one of her books and look at the hats throughout her history, you'll see that a lot of the hats in the last ten years 
have taken such big inspiration from Madame Paulette. Um, even all of the sidewinding hats. And she used lots of interesting materials as well. She didn't just stick to millinery materials. And she did some amazing things with um, veiling that, that we're doing now. So her, her stuff was timeless. Yeah, I'd, I, yeah, definitely. I would have loved to have had a hat made by Madame Paulette. So you in um, in London and in the UK, you are very well known as an innovator and uh, an early adopter of new materials. And and that's one of the reasons why we, we always uh, try to involve you as much as possible, because it's so great to get some new techniques and new um, new materials to use into the industry. So can you tell us how did that all start? Uh, well, thank you for that. Yeah, I try. <laughs> I think that's my passion in life is that to innovate and to innovate and to develop new techniques and to just further the industry somewhat. And there's a lot of people, a lot of milliners doing the same, especially coming out of um, um, the London uh, College of Art. There's, you know, there are the Royal College of Art. There are so many innovative people coming out. But how I started was uh, whilst I, when I was first going to TAFE, um, I pulled a shoe apart, a sand shoe, to um, to use it the, some of the materials in a hat, and I know of somebody else that has also done this very same thing, um, and I pushed my thumb. I was heating the material with a heat gun, pushed my thumb through one of the materials, and as it cooled, it stayed exactly in that shape. And I thought, oh, I could use that. And so I used to use lots of <laughs> I used to use lots of materials at that stage, especially when you're going to you know university or TAFE, you you tend to experiment a lot more because you've got more bravery at that stage. You, um, and so I was playing with a lot of materials then, but then I started to find out about thermoplastics and thermoformable materials um, and basically wrote to every company around the world that was using them in whatever capacity and asked them to send me samples. And so I tested probably over 300 samples and out of that came five or six that we could use in the millinery industry. And then since then, um, at that time, phosphate was available, but it was a sealing um, from, for factories. It was a material used for sealings for factories. But it was being used somewhat by the theatrical people um, for props. So, But no one knew how to use it for millinery. So I had to develop a whole lot of new, techs for, uh, new techniques for that, as well as all of the other thermoplastics, like the black one, the clear, all of those um, I've I've uh, helped the manufacturer come up with or source from other industries. And most of the thermoplastics we now use are from other industries. So it's not really um, early adopting them. It was actually researching and developing those materials to suit the millinery industry, um, as well as coming up with lots of new techniques and um, even the cosplay companies now using all of those <clears throat> all of those materials, which is good to hear, and some of the fashion industry. So when I teach, I sometimes teach fashion students, textile students, artists, and they go on then to use these materials in their own fields. So, and then speaking of innovation, we're all having to um, think about new ways of working at the moment. Not not only in uh, what we use, but how we how we work, um, especially with the restrictions on travel at the moment. So. Um, how have you been getting on with um, Zoom and um, other ways of delivering classes? Yeah, um, well, I've, funnily enough, we just started classes again. Um, but I've been, what I've been doing is, 
is uh, a lot more research and development um, in my own studio. And I've had a couple of months off for the first time in my whole working career. <laughs> I've had a couple of months off. It's done me the world of good, I think. And so you come back stronger and sort of with vigor, you know, it's great. But yeah, working, um, I've been testing out new, new materials, working on a new nylon material at the moment that looks interesting for millinery. And um, the, the, the paper, the shantung straw and the paper is coming along in leaps and bounds as well. So, um, and it, there's a funny thing going on, you know, in the, in the Far East with all of this paper product. They are now selling more papers, more paper material than they do straw material because I didn't realize this, but 50% of the world's Panamas are actually paper. They're not Panama straw. And so you, you've got to think, wow, the, and the technology that's now gone into these sort of new materials um, is, is so good that, that, that in some instances they're better than straw. So this is, you know, this is a new and interesting thing coming up for us as milliners is, you know, when do, we jump, when do we jump on these things and start using them? How do we use them? And is it worth using them? And do we have enough materials to coat them and to make them stiff that are actually safe and that, that will make them last years, you know? Um, so it's, it's all, I'm test, doing a lot of testing at the moment. And I've, we've, we came up last year with a new um, water-based um, glue that's used as a stiffener that we currently use. Um, but we've we've in the millinery industry and the craft industry have been using it so watered down that it actually doesn't stiffen properly or last. So now we're trying to get these manufacturers to put back some of the solids that they water down so that we can then use them as proper stiffeners. Yes, it's an interesting time for people to be coming into the industry as well because, you know, um, I know when I when I started we were just shown how to use straw and felt that was it really yeah yeah <laughs> you just have to, um go from there and try to adapt that to to learn how to use other materials so it must be great to um come straight in on one of your classes actually and see this massive breadth of material yeah well I would hope that both students um do the straw and the felt and everything first and then come and learn these techniques afterwards because then they've got a good grounding in what millinery really is and where the strength is and where the balance is and and all of the technical things you need, you know, in a hat, as well as the design. I mean, a lot of the thermoplastics give you a much greater um, design capability because the, the structural integrity is greater because of the material. So it sort of lets your mind go a little bit further. But, yeah, some of the newer students that haven't done the old ways are um, – uh, they just take it for granted that this is all normal and, and they're quite gobsmacked when they, when they hear about things that we used to use like spartery or that we still use like spartery um, and they can't understand why we're using it. <laughs> it's quite strange. Yeah, so we've talked a lot about making and, uh, and about milliners. Um, so let's think about people who are going to come out and buy a hat, choose a hat for themselves. What tips would you have for somebody who's choosing a hat maybe for the first time? Ah, um, I would choose a hat that elevates you and your mood. So um, a hat that suits you, obviously. The shape has to suit your face shape and your body 
and, and whatever you're going to wear, but mostly uh, your face shape. So once you've got that sorted, um, there's the, my little saying is remember that your hair frames your face, but your hat frames your personality. So choose a hat that matches your personality, not one that is too much or too little, but one that matches your personality. If you find a good milliner, then and you get to know your milliner, the milliner can gauge your personality and make your hat suit you. Even subconsciously, we all do that naturally, I think. And that's when you get a winning combination going on, when your milliner knows you well enough to um, to make you something that actually does match your personality or that elevates your personality a little bit. So coming back from your um, break, which I know is very unusual for you, <laughs> what is the next big challenge for the Sydney Millinery Company? The next big challenge for me is flying again <laughs> because we're not sure when that's ever going to happen now. That's crazy. Um, well, as I, as I said before, I'm working on some new materials. So the next big thing for me is to test them and to make sure that they're good and that they're safe for us to use and that um, and then trying to work out the creativity. Because I, I really only pick things that I think, wow, that could be good for us. Um, just because I think it will elevate our own creativity. But um, so, yeah, I've got a lot of things on the pipeline for that at the moment. And I'm still trying to get my head around this um, um, online, doing classes online, because it is quite um, challenging. But I think if, if you've got two or three cameras, it's fine. And people people actually really like it as long as the class online is small enough that you can talk to each person and see what they're actually doing. And um, so, Carol, you've been a regular masterclass tutor uh, for London Hat Week over the years, and um, you've become part of the London Hat Week family. So can you remember when you first heard about London Hat Week? Um, Thank you for that. And I do feel part of the family as well. Um, When you you first started, the first first London Hat Week, um, I heard about it just before, and I was so excited because um, I thought it was such a great idea, really, because London is is quite, um, uh, well, you can do a hat week in London because you can sort of have events all over London and it's fantastic. Um, and I thought then that I'd love to be involved. And I remember the first one I couldn't come to, but I, but I thought, wow, well, I have to contact you for the next one because it was, um, I just loved the idea of it, that you could have great things happening all over the city and that they all come together in little bursts. It was fantastic. So all being well, um, we and we obviously don't know what uh, restrictions or guidance is going to be in place at the time, but Becky and I are very much hoping that we will see you in person in October for London Hat Week Live. And um, the schedule, um, if you've had a look at what's on there, do you have an event that you're looking forward to? Well, every year I look forward to the opening party <laughs> because of the fashion parade. That's fantastic. Um, well, it's just really good to see the, the show pieces that you don't normally see in millinery. So if anyone's listening to this and you get the chance to go buy a ticket to go to that, you must do that because it is spectacular. Um, I'm looking forward to teaching and seeing all the returning students that come to my class every year. Um, I'm really looking forward to that. And I'm looking forward to the supplier fair 
uh, because I usually fill up my suitcases to bring home of all those lovely goodies. (laughs) (laughs) As if my suitcases are not full enough as it is, I usually end up paying for excess baggage two or three times over. (laughs) And I'm looking forward to seeing everybody that comes every year and all the new people as well. So, yeah, I I just look forward to the whole event. It's fantastic. Yeah, we, we can't wait um it it feel, feels like a, a long wait this time um and it will certainly be great to, to see everybody and and yeah. see everybody looking well um one of, one of the funniest parts for me is always when you arrive because you've always got so much stuff with you and I always think I travel <laughs> I, I don't travel light but I've never seen anybody carry as much stuff as you do <laughs> I'm like a pack horse <laughs> now, I usually have roll those roller suitcases, you know, with the four wheels, two of those plus a big hat box, a traveling hat box. And in that traveling hat box is usually 15 or so hats. So, yeah, I, it's not hard, though. I've, I've worked out a system of doing it so that it's, I don't have to pick anything up or carry it. I just roll it all along. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what I love about you. You've always got a system for everything and nothing – Nothing stands in your way. Um, so it, it's going to be great to um, get back together again. And, and thank you so much for spending time with us today and telling us about um, some of your projects. That was Carol Mayer, owner of the Sydney Millinery Company, with me, Georgina Abbott of London Hat Week on Morley Radio. To find out more about London Hat Week, visit www.londonhatweek.com or follow London Hat Week on Instagram, Facebook or Twitter.